what keeps us from moving forward in our dreams is fear. Our brains have evolved for survival, not goal achievement. So anytime we do something that's new or uncomfortable, that's going to get us closer to our goal, our brain is going to sense that discomfort and our brain will come up with all kinds of reasons why this scary, uncomfortable thing is a terrible idea. And the smarter you are, the better you are at coming up with those stories. Now, when we experience that, we don't experience it as excuses. We don't experience it as self-sabotage because these stories sound real. Welcome to the Space for Magic podcast, where people who are led by their hearts come to learn the secrets to receiving all the gifts the universe has for us. I'm your host, Patty Lennon. I'm an ex-type A corporate banker turned intuitive coach. Using a blend of common sense, brain science, and just a dash of magic, I am here to help you create abundance in every area of your life and business. Welcome. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Space for Magic podcast. Today we have a special guest. Besides being fabulous, she's also one of my business besties. But before we talk about why she's one of my business besties, I want to tell you exactly who she is. Miriam Shulman is an artist and founder of The Inspiration Place, where she helps other artists learn how to profit from their passion and become better artists. After witnessing 9-11, she abandoned a lucrative hedge fund job to work on her art full-time. Since then, her art and story have been featured in major publications, including Forbes, The New York Times, Art Journaling Magazine, as well as featured on NBC's Parenthood and the Amazon series Hunters with Al Pacino. Her forthcoming book with HarperCollins leadership, Artpreneur, How to Make Money from Your Creativity, is scheduled for release on January 31st, 2023. When she's not in the studio, she splits her time between New York City and her farmhouse in the country, both of which I've been to and are fabulous. Welcome, 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 Miriam. Well, hey, Patty. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I know. I'm so excited for you to be here. So, you know, the last time you were talking to my audience, I think it was a couple of years ago, we were talking about journaling, like art journaling to set new intentions for your life and for your world. And you have this amazing book coming out that I have already had the privilege of reading. I got a sneak preview. And for you listening, where I want you to make sure you keep your mind wide open is that although Miriam focuses on helping artists become profitable artists, and certainly that is what the focus of the book is, She brings a lot of wisdom to how to be a very practical, pragmatic person and still play in a world that includes magic. And she is much better at expressing how to shift mindset than I ever am. So that was a big reason why I wanted her to be on the podcast because when you hear her story, when you hear, you know, what she's navigated on her journey to becoming this profitable working artist. I love that word, Miriam. Like when I saw it in your book, I don't think I've ever heard you call yourself that because well, we're friends. I don't know that we talk about ourselves like that, but I liked that because for you listening, 
Here's what I want you to think before we jump into the interview. Is there something that you feel like you're supposed to be doing? Maybe you can't put your finger on what it is, but there's just like this nagging sense that life is maybe not enough or that what you're spending your time doing doesn't fulfill you. If you answered yes to either of those questions, you are going to love what Miriam has to share. All right. So Miriam, now you can start talking. (laughs) (laughs) What did I not share that you want to make sure they know for sure as we kick this off? How much I love you, Patty. Oh. So yesterday I it was my daughter's birthday and I went to your Oracle card deck and I was like, what is what does she most need to hear? So my my daughter turned 25. So I pulled a card out and the card was actually the pity party card, but that's not what my daughter needed to hear. It's a picture of a bulldog with a cupcake and a candle. So I took a picture of it without the word pity party and I sent it to my daughter and she loved it because we're always talking in my family. We don't have a bulldog, but we're always talking about bulldogs in, our, in my family. So it was, and my husband's like, where did you find that? It's like, Patty sent it to us. Oh, magic. Oh, I just love you. And I'm so grateful to be here with talking to your people. Mm, I'm so glad for you to be here and talking to my people. All right. So I think, um, you know, for, for you guys listening, you know, I was a type A corporate banker. Now you've heard Miriam left a lucrative hedge fund job, but our journeys, I think there's some similarities, but there's a lot of differences. So Miriam, maybe you could kind of talk about what that looked like, what that journey out of one very different world into a very, a completely different world. Yeah, it was a very different world. So, I mean, it's basically whatever, I don't want to dismiss anything you experienced, Patty, because I really don't know, but it's whatever you probably experienced, but on steroids, because I was working for what they used to call the big swinging dicks of Wall Street. Am I allowed to talk that way on your podcast? Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay. So, I mean, they've written books about the people I've worked for and the elite traders I worked for on Wall Street who sexually harassed me, who are... That's in my book, by the way, the little juicy parts. I won't get in legal trouble. HarperCollins made sure I changed the names of the guilty. And then I followed these egos to a hedge fund, which is basically exponentially more of that kind of machismo energy. You do everything for the firm. And it was very much the type of experience. If anyone saw the Tom Cruise movie, The Firm, it felt very much like that. Like you were almost like in a mafia where it's like loyalty to the firm. So that was huge. I went to Wall Street because I grew up very poor. My father passed away when I was five. My mother got divorced from her second husband. We were literally living in my grandparents' home and we didn't really have anything. I was went to college on financial aid and I knew that I had to make money. There was no trust fund. There was no rich father helping me out. I was on my own. So when I worked for the Wall Street, it was the first time in my life where I actually had money. And I was very scared when I started thinking about walking away from it all. I didn't want to have to repeat the poverty of my childhood 
for me and my family. But when 9-11 happened, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was like, there's, there's got to be a different way. And um, what inside you, you know, I think there's one thing to say, okay, there's got to be a different way. But yeah. I want to look at my notes for a second because you talk about it as your wake-up call. Yeah. And I love the way you, in the book, talk about the hero's journey because I think you speak to the hero's journey through a lens that I don't think gets addressed too much, which is you get the calling, but then you have to answer the calling. And I mean, that is spoken of, but then you really focus in on why someone won't answer the calling and maybe some strategies. So why don't you talk a little bit about like what that was like for you and maybe compare it to what you see it is for the people you help. Yeah. So what keeps us from moving forward in our dreams is fear. Our brains have evolved for survival, not goal achievement. So anytime we do something that's new or uncomfortable, that's going to get us closer to our goal, our brain is going to sense that discomfort and our brain will come up with all kinds of reasons why this scary, uncomfortable thing is a terrible idea. And the smarter you are, the better you are at coming up with those stories. Now, when we experience that, we don't experience it as excuses. We don't experience it as self-sabotage because these stories sound real. They sound real. What I'm doing in that second chapter when I talk about Wall Street is I'm reminding everybody, yeah, there's risks of making a change. There are risks of staying the same. There may be bears outside the cave. There are also snakes in the cave. So that is why I talk about the sexual harassment I experienced, the being passed over for promotions, the lack of opportunity that I faced. That's why I talk about it because I'm trying to remind you that there is risks of staying the same and not going for it, even though there, yes, there's risks. Of course, there are risks of making change. Now, you asked me about the hero's journey. So when I quit my job initially, I thought it was going to be temporary. That's the truth. I walked away from the hedge fund. I thought I was just taking a temporary break, an extended maternity leave, and that someday I might go back. Okay. So let me stop you. So what you're saying is you didn't think you were actually answering the call. You're essentially tricking your mind into taking the first step, or maybe you weren't even conscious of it, but that's why you're stressing that, that you didn't really, you weren't like all in, in that first. No. And it wasn't, I'm going to quit my job and become an artist. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking that way yet. I didn't know that that was possible. And I want so to people ask me, like, how did you decide to quit your job and become an artist? I was like, well, there's actually a lot, there's a little more to it to that. So I had money saved. I just knew I couldn't keep doing what I was doing. I was so empty. My hedge fund had literally gone out of business and they were keeping me on to start a new company. So there wasn't anything for me to do. And I was really going into work and pretending to work so I can collect a paycheck. Now, when you have absolutely no purpose, to your days, but collecting a paycheck, you're going to start asking yourself questions. I'm basically getting paid to stay away from my child today. It's like, I can't do this anymore. There's no meaning in my life. I mean, the whole point of life is being needed and creating meaning for ourselves. And I didn't have that anymore. So that's why I left. But I was ready to run back. Now, if you look at, you mentioned the hero's journey. If you look at all of our favorite 
fairy tales and stories, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Wizard of Oz. We'll just, we'll go with Wizard of Oz. She runs away, but then she goes back to Aunt Annie M, right? And it's only because that house with the tornado takes her way to Oz that we have the rest of the story. So for me, I ran away from my job, but I thought I was coming back. And to that point of no return. So there's like a point of no return that happens in the hero's journey, like with Star Wars, I think his home planet gets blown up. All those, all the Star Wars heads are going to come after me for not getting this right if I got that wrong. <laughs> I don't so, know how many of those we have here. So. I don't know. I don't know. Well, there's all kinds of like... I'm going to find out though, Miriam. <laughs> that's right. All kinds of fandoms. <laughs> all right. Okay. So, but you will notice this is, this is in every hero's journey where they leave and they want to come, they answer the call, but then there's this moment where they cross the threshold where there is no turning back. So for me, I left, but that wasn't the crossing of the threshold. The crossing of the threshold was 9-11 when I saw Severn World Trade Center burn to the ground. That was my actual crossing the threshold. I'm not going back. And the reason why is because I was in the World Trade Center when the first bomb happened and they were not honest with us. They didn't tell us to evacuate. We basically all went back to work. And let me stop you, Miriam, because I think a lot of people don't realize that that happened. I know. The first bomb. So for you listening, years before 9-11 happened, there actually was and I don't want to assume anything about you listening, but I know that a lot of people who weren't in this area don't realize that that actually happened. And people didn't find out till much later that that was actually a terrorist act. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it's been so eclipsed by 9-11 that even people in this area have forgotten about it. Like, oh, the first bombing, like you have to be of a certain age and really have experienced it. Which we both are. That's why she's Which one of my best. Which we both are, yes. I, I, <laughs> I'll be 54 when this airs, I think. When 9-11 happened, I thought about that second plane going in the tower, how they didn't evacuate the building. And they didn't evacuate my building during the terrorist attack in 93 either. So that's how close I felt. Like I felt that could have been me. Mm, and big. that was my wake-up call. And Patty, right now, what we've been experiencing the last few years is people have had a very similar wake-up call. Over 40 million people have walked away from their jobs during the pandemic. And that's why they call this period the Great Resignation. It's been a lot of people. Now, for those who are listening, the statistics are most of the people walking away have been men and that the women have not had the same courage to walk away. And I want to change the conversation around that. And I wonder, too, if maybe courage isn't the only piece of it. Of course. Also, there's an obligation. This is what I noticed. This audience primarily is women. And we are socialized to give up what we need. And that's why we're not always making the same money. We're not making, getting the same benefits. We're not getting the same protections, whatever it is, because we've been socialized to settle for less than what we truly desire in order to make the community system work, to make sure everyone's needs are met. And sometimes that comes with illusions. And so at the end of the day, when that male person who's been socialized to, you know, 
basically take care of themselves so that they can then be the hunter, you know, that they're supposed to be, and they get their wake up call, that ability to leave comes with less strings than a woman who's already probably making less because she's underemployed, but she's not just worrying about herself. She's worrying about every other person that her string, her heartstring runs out to. Oh yeah. We've been taught to put everyone else first. And that shows up in so many ways, Patty, not just in in terms of monetarily, but I even notice with the people who I started helping with, I started teaching online like 10 years ago, that even making time to do things they love came last. And they had trouble understanding how to create their in their own style because they really didn't know who they were anymore. They had spent their whole lives putting other people's needs first and never asking themselves. And this is why I love you, Patty, because I know this is something you talk about. What do I want? What do I desire? They don't even know what they want or desire anymore for them, for whether it's their art or for themselves or for their lives. So I see this coming out in their artwork too. Yes, actually, just as you were saying it, there's a, a woman in the receiving school, Laura Hitchcock, and she's she's told her story like publicly, so I can speak about it. But when she was talking in the beginning of the receiving school, she did I forget what the the actual like specific type of art that she created, but it was a type of art that she felt was more sellable, you know? So like she was still trying to do the right thing, that it was a marketable type of art. And it was really when she let herself move into abstracts, which are what her soul was calling her towards, that she started winning awards and pieces started selling. And But that she had the courage to pursue her art, but then even while she was doing it, she was still trying to do a type of art that would be at least a little bit more approvable or right or and people dependable. pleasing. Yes, people the, pleasing yes. in her artwork. Yes, right. Yes. So I want to go back to the the hero's journey and back to that piece about you know the call coming, answering the call because because you talk about procrastination and I want to go there. But before I do, I just want to mention I love the way you talk about it because. I don't usually talk about the hero's journey, but I think the way you described it, what I do talk about is like you, the universe is first going to send you a whisper. And that is sort of that feeling like, oh, this isn't right. Right. And then it's going to kind of give you the nudge. And that's where you're like, oh, I'm getting paid to spend time away from my kids. And then it's going to hit you over the head. And my question to you actually is my theory has always been, if you answer the whisper, it's a lot easier. If you wait for the nudge, it's still going to, you know, it's still easier, but, you know, it's going to require more courage. Like each earlier step requires more courage, but it means you are avoiding getting hit over the head. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, because to me, it feels like until you had the really big thing happen, letting go of something so valuable, like in monetary explanations, especially coming from having income, like fear as a child, that you probably needed the biggest thing to cut that tie. What do you think? Yeah. And again, I just want to go circle back to the 
idea that I didn't set out. It wasn't when 9-11 happened. I said, now I'm going to be an artist. I mean, I kind of tell the story that way in my elevator pitch. And then when 9-11 happened, I dedicated myself to becoming an artist. And that's true, but that's really a collapsed narrative. Mm. So what I do talk about in the book is initially I, I still... I was painting on the side, so I was doing what I wanted to do, but I I didn't believe that I could make money as an artist. I really didn't. And it wasn't until I took a job as a Pilates instructor and got trained by the gym on how to sell personal training packages that I was like, oh, this is what marketing is? I can use these same skills to sell my artwork. Like suddenly it was like everything was very clear that it was all the same thing. It didn't matter what you were selling. It was just this process. And the more I learned on how to market and how to sell, the better I got at selling my artwork. So once I saw that this was just a skill, that's when things unlocked for me. Mm, I love that you say that because I, and I want to emphasize that for you listening, you know, whether you're a artist in the traditional sense, you're a creative Besides writing the book, Miriam does work in this and she's brilliant at helping people connect those dots. I think it's there's a lot of idea if you're creative that you're just not good at selling, that you're just not good at marketing. And it's a skill and that's it. Yes, there are some people who could sell ice to an Eskimo, but that's not what you need Like from the time they were born. Like, that is not what you need to be profitable as a creative. You can just learn these skills. They are linear processes that anyone can learn if they're willing, right? Do you think that's fair? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's literally what I step people through step by step. And you could probably cross off art and artists and put in whatever it is that you sell in there. But it is a process. And I do think actually that people who rely on the process are more successful than people who believe that they do have the right personality to sell because it actually it's more about skill and less about personality. Yeah. Yes. So true. Okay. So I do want to go back. We don't even have to dive into the hero's journey, but just I talk about procrastination as that's your soul whispering. You're just not ready or it's just not important. Whereas you take a totally different take on procrastination. And I'm sure there's been people who have listened to me and been like, no, I'm a procrastinator and I'd really like to know how to stop being this way. So talk about how you describe procrastination. Okay. So we're going to go back to something I was saying earlier. Whenever our brains have evolved for survival, that's number one, not goal achievement. Okay. So when you're going to do something uncomfortable. So what would be something that a lot of your people procrastinate on? Can you give me an example? Having a difficult conversation. Okay, fine. So you feel uncomfortable because you need to have this conversation. And now your brain is coming up with all kinds of stories about why that's a bad idea. Your brain is going to experience this as the truth, not thoughts. They are thoughts but whatever it is that you have to do. So, and I'll just throw in a couple of things that I know my people procrastinate. Maybe it's sending out an email. Maybe it's uh, 
Is that okay? Can we do that one? I know you said there aren't yeah. a lot of entrepreneurs. All right. So you may, maybe you have to send an email and then maybe it may not be a marketing email. It might be just an email, like you yeah, said, a difficult conversation teacher. to your kid's teacher, Whoever. whatever. Now you've coming up with all kinds of stories about what can go wrong with that email that you're going to send it. So what happens when you have these fears, you create these doubts, these stories. So what happens next? You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to be like the deer in the headlight, completely confused about what to do and shut down. And then you're going to probably find yourself procrastinating or procrastinating or whatever. Or here's the other place people go, well, maybe I can Google the right kind of email to send to my teacher and they do all kinds of procrastinating learning. I'm going to read blogs about like how to deal with my difficult child and what to say to the teacher and what are the right things. And maybe I'm going to show it to Patty and maybe I'm going to show it to my friend Jen and see what she thinks or maybe I'm going to ask my mother. So I call all that stuff procrastinating because you basically just want to get it right. Either way, whether you're confused and you just don't do anything deer in the headlights or you're doing all this kind of research, you're really motivated by the same thing. You're motivated because you don't want to fail or because you don't want that story you came up to come true, fear of failure, fear of success, whatever it is. So what happens next is you're convinced that these stories are real, these bad things you're going to imagine are real, and it's totally natural then not to take action. Of course, you're not going to take action if you're not convinced of what the next step is. Mm, Yeah. And then what I loved is in the book, you really spoke to some strategies that help with that. And we don't have to get into those, but you did bring up later and it ties back to the procrastination because I've seen this with clients who are neurodiverse is one of the things that I admire so much about you, Miriam. So for you listening is that, you know, Miriam is neurodiverse. And for those of you not familiar with that means is, you know, there's a lot of ways that brains work that don't look like the traditional way that our education system is built like ADHD, auditory processing, dyslexia. And then there's just a rainbow of other things we can talk about. And I think sometimes, especially if you were raised in a traditional education system, you can go out into the world and really lean into like, I don't know how to do this well enough. You know, when I do things like I I talk too quick, I take too quick action, I respond too slowly. I don't get what they're telling me. And yet you say you feel like it's one of your superpowers. And I wanted to make sure we touched on like how you got to that place or just your theory on it, because that is one that I bang the drum on a lot. Having had a couple of people who are very close to me, including one of my children who have multiple neurodiversity sort of categories that they check. I really feel like our world is moving so quickly. It's actually this neurodiversity that is needed to really keep up with the pace. And most of us, you know, neurotypical people actually don't have the brains to keep up with it. So go ahead, share where you come out on it. Okay. So first of all, and I, I don't think I put this in the book at all, but neurodiversity, whether it's ADD or even autism, these are not mutations. This is part of evolution that the human species has evolved to include neurodiverse people because they serve a function in our society. So that's number one to remember. 
But let's just go back to what we talked about today. I don't think there's too many people unless they have like this very distracted brains that are going to sit there during a Pilates lecture about how to sell personal training packages. And I'm thinking the whole time, how can I do, apply this to my artwork? So that is like the connecting of the dots that because I have a neurodiverse brain, I'm able to do. So like, I feel like that was a gift. That was a gift. Now, at the same time, I sometimes will miss context. I have a lot of trouble. So for me, when I grew up, it was called a learning disability. So sometimes I might say that, but my learning difference, is that the PC word now? I know. My specific challenge is audiological processing. And my kids both have the same challenge. And what I saw when they were being tested, this is the kind of test they would do. It's not about not being able to hear because you can hear the noise, but the way they tested it is they would say the word gun or gum. And the kid would have to point to either a picture of a gun or a picture of a, a stick of gum. And they went through a lot of different things. And I could see how my, both of my kids had struggled with they hear something and they're hearing not what was really being said. So sometimes these subtleties, it's very difficult for me. And I didn't realize until this pandemic how much I've been relying on the visual cues to understand people. Because now when people have their masks in front of their face, I have a lot more trouble understanding them. And it's not that I can't hear them through the mask. I can't understand them because I'm missing out on some of these other subtle cues that I'm relying on visually to make sense of things. Yeah. You know, with the one of mine, what I, with similar challenges is, I think it's especially difficult when you've got a highly developed intellect because you come up with shortcuts to understand things, but those shortcuts only work when the system supports the shortcuts. Hmm. Okay. So um, I have so many, so many questions that we haven't gotten to, but I don't want to go in a direction that I want to go in. We, with the last couple of minutes, I want you to share what have we not covered that you think is the most important? When this episode drops, we'll be right in the middle of the holiday season. What is it that you want people to know when they're thinking about making space for magic and using all the wisdom you bring to the table? What do you want to share with them? Yeah, I want to share something, Patty, experience that I had with you going through your manifesting for grownups. Mm-hmm. So in the book, I talk about the belief triad. That's belief in yourself, belief in your art, belief in your buyer. And if you lack belief in one of these things, you're going to struggle. So if you believe there aren't art buyers out there, you won't be able to see them. Now, a very literal example of this was when I was doing manifesting treasure hunt with you. And one of the objects was a purple feather. And I was like, well, there's no way I'm going to see a purple feather. And, and I'm in New York City. I'm walking around. And I don't see any. Then we go to the Catskills where I'm in the farmhouse. And I thought to myself, well, we're definitely not going to see any here. We're in the, like, the middle of this farm. And on the way back from the farm, we stopped off at my daughter's apartment. She's 25. Uh, we're not going to see any purple feathers here. And when I got home is when I realized, holy crap, there were purple feathers literally everywhere because I... 
at one point was painting a lot of peacocks. And in my farmhouse was a huge purple peacock. And yes, peacocks have feathers. So a purple peacock is a bird with a lot of purple feathers. And then my daughter has a five-foot painting in her living room of a purple peacock. But because I was so attached to the belief that I wouldn't see purple feathers, I couldn't see them. I couldn't see them. Mm. And they were literally everywhere. And so that just shows the power of belief, how you can completely sabotage yourself if you don't believe. Oh, yes. That was actually one of the biggest the biggest takeaways from the book. I'm so glad you brought that up because that was that was there in my notes. This is awesome. The belief triad is so good how you lay that out. And that's your intellectual property, right, Miriam? Like, yeah, you, it is. Like people said, where'd you learn that? I was like, I made it up. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> because before I got the copy of the book for you listing, Miriam like floated belief triad on into a conversation. And I was just like, I was kind of listening and trying to keep up and thinking like, because that's sometimes how it is when we're talking, like Miriam's talking and she's she knows stuff and I'm just trying to keep up. And then all of a sudden she was like, and if you don't know what that is, I made it up. So you have to read the book because then you'll know it. So um, it's really good stuff. I love it. All right. So what I want to make sure we do before we jump over to how they can find you is make sure you listening, that you pre-order Miriam's book. It's going to be out uh, January 31st, right? It is. So one of the gifts that I created, because I know you're listening in the holidays, but even while you're waiting for it to arrive, there are 12 videos. Every chapter title is a different mantra. Chapter one is choose to believe. Mm -hmm. So I talk about that. And to entertain you, I do a spread in my art journal, which is very interesting that last time we talked about art journaling, I had forgotten about that. So you'll get to watch me work in my art journal. I give a little bit of technique, but it's certainly, you know, you don't have to do any of the art journal exercises. It's just for my artists listening who may want to know what the technique is. I do share it. And I give a little bit, a snippet from behind each chapter, a little bit extra. And sometimes I even read from the chapter. So while you're waiting, you can enjoy that. So I'll tell you, chapter one is choose to believe. And I even read the entire last chapter, chapter 12, which is keep marching forward. Mm. Oh boy. That is an affirmation we need for these days, for sure. All right. So we're going to put all of this in the notes section. Go to shulmanart.com forward slash book. And shulman is S-C-H-U-L-M-A-N-A-R-T.com forward slash book. And Miriam is the host of the awesome Inspiration Place podcast. So definitely check her out on your podcast app that you're listening to here. Um, we'll put that link in the show notes. What else, Miriam? Yeah. Well, if you like what I had to say here, hop on over to the podcast. Patty was a guest twice, I think. So I know because you're special. (laughs) And you're you're pretty active on uh, Instagram too, right, Miriam? Yeah. So I put like I put things on Instagram. I'm starting to move towards YouTube. I've been taking my toys over there because I I because the box has Mark Zuckerberg in it. (laughs) What? I'm sorry. What? The sandbox has a little too much poop in it these days. That's right. The cat has been in the sandbox, right? (laughs) So I'm 
taken my toys over to YouTube and I'm having a lot of fun over there. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes. And um, Miriam, I just want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. I am so excited for the launch of your book. I know it's going to make a difference in so many people's lives. And um, any last words of wisdom you want to offer? Yeah. So this is dropping in the holidays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. So we talked about choose to believe that chapter one, whatever your big dreams are for 2023, I want you to choose to believe that they can come true. And even if you're having trouble with that, even if you just put the words in front of that big goal, I choose to believe that whatever your goal is, it will unlock all kinds of magic for you. Mm, I love that. Oh, nothing more to add to that. Everyone have a great week. Make space for magic. Check out Miriam's podcast and go pre-order the book so you get all those goodies. All right. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening. If you know someone who needs to hear this message, please share this episode with them. And if you're feeling really generous, I'd love for you to leave us a review at your favorite podcast app. It helps us reach many more people and it fills my heart with so much joy when I hear what you have to say about what I've shared. I'm cheering for your success. Have an amazing day. And don't forget, always create space for magic. This podcast is part of the Sound Advice FM network. Sound Advice FM, women's voices amplified.